When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Here's a question. Did you know an all-bond portfolio can earn up to 6.88% yield? As interest rates plateau and eventually begin to drop, Betterment is offering the BlackRock Target Income Portfolio, a 100% bond portfolio that can be a smart alternative to cash. Here's a couple more reasons why you may want to consider BlackRock Target Income Portfolio. First, it has four different yield targets to choose from based on your preferred level of risk. Second, it's built by BlackRock, one of the world's leading asset managers. And third, while it's still an investing product, it's generally less risky than stocks alone. But did you really hear anything after up to 6.88% yield? Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Learn more at betterment.com slash bonds. As of 41924 for the aggressive target income portfolio, blended 30 30-day SEC yield is the weighted average of 30-day SEC yields standardized calculation for each ETF in the portfolio, net of fees 0.25%. Yield is not performance. Investment returns may vary. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Betterment, not BlackRock, is responsible for its advisory relationships with clients. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It is Sunday, July 24th. And today we are airing the second part of the interview that I conducted with Major Garrett, my CBS News colleague, on his program called The Takeout. If you didn't catch yesterday's program, you may want to do it because we go kind of big picture down to other stuff. Yesterday, we spoke about the state of the economy and the Fed and rising interest rates and what's going on in the labor market. Today, we're talking about actual investments and even cryptocurrency. Yeah, we go there. Okay, here's the second part of the interview that Major conducted with me. Jill, uh, we're in a bear market for sure. Uh, Stock indexes down 15% globally, $9 trillion in equity lost this year, if I read the numbers correctly. And this is what we think about when we talk about bear markets historically 70 percent of bear markets have led to recessions of one kind or another one depth or magnitude of another that's why it's topical um what is the you said you will uh, dispense investment advice i never will uh what is the climate and what would be your advice well, first of all, I, um, I'm i going to just come out of the closet right now as okay. a lover of bear markets. I think okay. they're great because I think they help reset expectations. And I think that when things get a little too frothy, that's when I get nervous. I get nervous. You know, at the end of last year, I got nervous when I heard from people who are like, well, I don't want to keep my emergency reserve in just a bank account. I, I'm just going to put it in a, you know, a dividend producing stock. Uh, no. Okay. No. So bear markets are good because they flush out excesses. Why are we thinking it's going to be a, uh, a recessionary kind of theme here? Well, the reality is that when you buy a stock, when you buy a stock index fund, what are you doing? You're betting on a company's ability to produce earnings in the future. And if the economy slows down, companies may not make as much money. That's all that's happening right now. And so the things that went up the most during the COVID rally got shellacked and got the hardest hit 
earliest. That means technology stocks. The tech sector peaked in November. I think that's right. November of last year, the S&P 500 peaked in January. But everything's taken it on the chin. And when you're um, a big investor, oftentimes the best thing to do when you're fearful of a recession is you run for cover. So you sell stuff, you wait around, see what happens. However, you and I don't have to do that because we don't have to answer to people with quarterly reports. All we need to do is stick to our game plan. So what does that mean? Here's your investment advice. If you're putting money into your retirement account right now, even if you're going to retire in two years, it's a, maybe you've got a, a shorter time horizon. It doesn't have to be 30 or 40, but if it's two, five, six years, keep to your game plan because right now is where the rubber meets the road in investments. What and do I mean? Where bargains can be found. Absolutely. Look, we're talking about inflation, right? Inflation is at, we talked about, 40 year highs. What has not gone up. What has actually gone down? What is on sale right now? Stocks and bonds. And if you have the right mentality about this, you're going to look past a bear market. You're going to look past a recession. You're going to understand that if you don't need your money for 10, 20, 30 years, that you have an opportunity right now to build your nest egg. And that's the most important thing. It is quite contraindicated, frankly, because when the things that go down the most really start to freak you out, what do you want to do? You want to sell everything and you know hide with your money under the mattress. But what you really need to do is kind of drown out the noise, keep on keeping on. And I think five years from now, you'll be really happy you did. You talked about your uh, love for bear markets because they reset, they clarify, they wash away excesses. I want to talk to you about crypto winter. So I mentioned a moment ago that globally with 15% stock market indexes down, $9 trillion in value was lost. $2 trillion of that was in cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, the most popular of the cryptocurrencies, down 70%. Tell my audience what the crypto winter is and what it might foretell. Do you remember... Um Let's go back into the old fart dumb um, in the dot com boom. There was the Super Bowl of 2000. And at the Super Bowl of 2000, there was an advertisement that ran on the Super Bowl. I don't know if it was a CBS Super Bowl that year. Um, and it was pets.com. And I remember everybody marveling at ha- this beautiful thing like the Internet. It's going to change everything. And there were some people like me who were sort of worried, like, well, yeah, I mean, I get it that there's something cool happening, but no one's got earnings. There's no earnings for Pets.com. That's a problem, isn't it? And then I remember at this year's oh, super- stodgy perspective. I know, I know. And it's OK. Like you can roll the dice and take a bet on a lot of flyers. There's no I mean, it, it's fine. But like you got to know what you're doing. So I think that when I saw all that crypto advertising in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. I literally said I didn't say crypto winter. I just said winter is coming. You know, <laughs> and From a uh, show we've all heard of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that what's interesting about crypto is that we talk ourselves into this idea that like, hey, these super smart venture capitalists who really did finance the Internet boom um, and they made fortunes of money are investing in this. I should do that, too. 
Maybe, but don't forget, there were a lot of losers in the internet bust. And the NASDAQ went from, you know, 5,000 to 2,000, and it took about 12 years to get back to its previous high. So there's a lot of um, reshuffling. I think the biggest question you ask yourself if you're an investor in crypto is why am I holding this? Is it just a fun flyer and it's like 1% of everything that I'm investing? That's fine. Go for it. But if you think you're building wealth based on something that has no earnings and, as you said, has no central bank and really doesn't have a use case, like I'm not clear what the use case is for this, for all of the blockchain right now. It could, it will, it might be, there could be, but this idea of decentralized finance, great. Good luck when you lose your fob because there's no, there's no, there's nothing centralized where you can go figure out where your money is. Good luck if someone, goes into your account and takes your Bitcoin or your whatever your your Dogecoin or whatever it is, there's no one to go to. So good luck. Right. And it's very it's it's scarcely regulated, I think is the fairest way to describe it. True? <laughs> that's that's being generous. Generous um, probably. It, yeah. Um uh I think that it looks like it's going to be regulated like a commodity. I mean I think that that's probably right because I always thought I mean I was a silver trader. I was a Gold, silver and copper options trader was my first job on Wall Street. And the way you look at charts of commodities is the way that I look at Bitcoin. Like, yes, there is supply and demand with Bitcoin because there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin, but um, it moves with great ups and downs. The volatility is enormous. So it looks a lot like a commodity. Gary Gensler, who's the head of the comes from a commodities futures trading commission. It looks like he wants that to be maybe jointly regulated. But the bottom line is you're going to buy this stuff Buyer beware. We've been talking about that since 2009, and it's as true as ever. Jill, I love to talk to you about lots of things, economics, but one of the things I love most to talk to you about is what things, and I know, I think you wrote a book about this. I'm I'm almost sure of it. You'll tell me if I'm wrong. Dumb decisions smart people make about by some variation of that theme, right? Yes. Let me do it for you. You ready? Think. The dumb things smart people do with their money. Right. Okay. What are what are a couple of those things and what are the what are the things right now you're afraid that they might be doing, even if you're a smart person in this environment? First of all, every smart person makes dumb financial decisions. And be, it's obvious why, because money is emotional. Right. Um, so we talked about one of the big problems that we see, and that is that people react emotionally to moves in the markets. They really do. Mm-hmm. But there's also another part of this that can be really tough for me as someone who used to give advice for a living and even who hears from people. And that is that we go through a lot of experiences in our lives and sometimes we don't like to confront the hard stuff. So my pet peeve is that two and a half years into a pandemic that I am still begging people to get their estate documents in, in the order that I am I am shocked you know, some I used to say like, well, you know, I never know when I'm going to cross the street and get hit by the M57 walking into the broadcast center at CBS. On th- you never know that. Right. Now I can say you never know. You could get a really scary virus and bad stuff happens. Right. So I think that's one of the things that continues to confound me is that we we are so much afraid sometimes of mm-hmm. dealing with these difficult issues that we just don't. And, and this not- is a bat this is a basket of documents. It's not just a will, correct? Correct. And and the, your three biggies would be a will, 
a durable power of attorney and a healthcare proxy. And that healthcare proxy is the one that I really focus on because you know what, during the pandemic, we were telling people to tell your mom in the nursing home to tape her health care proxy on the outside of her door, because if God forbid she has to go to the hospital, they need to know who to call or they need to know what her wishes are. So these are the kinds of things that we want people to deal with. And I would say that the other thing that I think I hope we learned coming out of the pandemic that maybe we maybe have a better sense of right now has to do with education. And we we're talking about, you know, there is so much education debt out there. I am still mystified by families that in, that put themselves, they impoverish themselves for this thing called a college degree, which may or may not pay off. So we really need to have honest conversations about what families can afford to do without putting anyone behind the financial eight ball. Are you in favor of, are you an advocate of 529B accounts as a means by which to finance that college education? If you have your big three areas of your financial life taken care of, if you've got an emergency reserve fund of six to 12 months of your living expenses, if you've gotten rid of high interest debt, and if you're maxing out your own retirement plan and you say, how shall I save for college a 529 plan is really the best way. And it can be used for private high school also. Now, Again, those three things that I mentioned, those come first. You know, your kid has a lot of opportunities for choices when it comes to schools. There are state schools. There are certificate programs. Maybe not everybody needs to go to college. It's, there's a lot of choices. You get to your retirement and you come up short. You don't have a lot of choices. So you don't want to have to say to your kids, I hope you loved that four year party. I need your help now because I don't have enough money for retirement. And don't forget this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, not every child who is of college age, A, needs to go to a four-year college, and even those who do, don't necessarily need to spend all four years at the same college. Junior college is an enormously economical, useful way to A, prepare for a four-year college, do two years of it at much lower cost, and guess what? When you get that degree from that four-year college, nobody cares that you spent two years at a JUCO. Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'd be careful about is graduate schools. I have to be honest with you. Like, uh, I'm not saying this is somebody who's probably the only person, you know, major who doesn't have a graduate degree, which I don't. <laughs> I don't either. Okay. I don't either. We're not. We're, we're in good company. <laughs> but, you know, graduate schools really put people in huge debt. And um, unless you're going into a profession where you really have to get that graduate degree, I'd think long and hard about it and go to work and see if an organization will pay for you. Go and see if there is a certificate program. I have a nephew who got a certificate program in program in, in a computer software programming, and he came out with an enormous job offer. And I think that that was a much more efficient way to get the skills he needed rather than I'm going to go back and go get a master's in this, that, and the other thing. So explore your options. I think that there's a lot out there. Um, and most importantly, you know, try to take a deep breath and say, what am I trying to accomplish here? Am I going to am I going to come out of this with something that's really going to change my life? Or am I doing this because I don't know what the hell else to do? A word to the wise, folks, and when thinking about graduate school, and the word is this, it's a phrase. Don't go to graduate school to find yourself. Go to graduate school to define yourself. I like that. 
Okay, that's it. That's what happens when I'm in the hot seat. You know, I hate that because I don't control it. But, you know, it was great. And Major Garrett is an awesome professional. Check out his program. It's called The Takeout. You can subscribe to it wherever you get this podcast. While you're at it and you're subscribing to The Takeout, you can also subscribe to our other broadcast. It's called Eye on Money. And it is Sunday. So, uh, you know, take a deep breath. Hopefully you don't have to work today. That's good. We'll be back in your ear tomorrow. Do something nice for someone else today. Grit, growth, grace. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you know a high schooler who is a natural leader and loves to give back to their community? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Student Visionaries of the Year program might be the perfect opportunity forming strong teams to support them. Student Visionaries of the Year candidates fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. This seven-week philanthropic leadership development program helps students gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Not to mention, it looks great on college applications. But most importantly, it's a chance for students to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or nominate a student at lls.org students. That's lls.org students.